Hi, this is the podcast recording of Generations Home Church with Noah Johnson. Enjoy. We ask that as we open your scriptures that you would uh, speak to us. (laughs) Now you know why we brought him up from California. (laughs) Nobody else has the the requisite technical skill. What's technology? Um, We just thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are so quick to reach down and save, and you are so quick to forgive. And we don't deserve that, but we praise you for it. And we ask that as we open your scriptures, that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, that you would open our minds and our hearts Open our ears to hear and understand that we might walk closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in Exodus chapter 6. You thought we were in Luke? Luke 6. Okay. Well, we're not in Luke. All right, so I'm going to read through uh, chapter 6, and then we'll go back through and and kind of break it down. I am going to start a little bit um, prior to 6, just for some context. Uh, As you guys know, the chapters were obviously, chapters and verses were put in centuries later just to help people know where different verses were. But um, let's start in 519. The Israelite foreman saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. And when they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hands to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God. 
who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirits and hard labor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, if the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me since I am such a poor speaker? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. Um, I'll leave off the last section there, which is a genealogy. We'll go through it briefly at the end. Um, but so let's stop there. So uh, last week where we left off, we basically saw that the Egyptians and, or I'm sorry, not the Egyptians, the, the Israelites and even Moses were in, in kind of this state of, I don't want to say disbelief, but I'll say discouragement. The Lord had made this promise. We had seen as we kind of jumped into chapter five, that just before that, the end of chapter four, they had heard that the Lord had heard them. He had seen them. He, he knew that they were suffering and he had come down to rescue them. And when Moses and Aaron went and told the elders of Israel this, and they showed them the miracles that the people were filled with joy that the Lord had, had, had seen all their suffering and they fell down. They believed first of all, and then they fell down and worshiped. And then we saw as they went into Pharaoh, Moses went into Pharaoh and told him, Hey, the Lord, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And the Pharaoh says, I don't know Yahweh. I don't, who's that? I don't care what he says. And then he said, thus says Pharaoh. So Yahweh gave his proclamation. Pharaoh gives his proclamation. His proclamation is make the people work a lot harder. They're, they're lazy. They want to go and worship some God. They're telling me they don't want to be our slaves anymore. Um, from here on out, they don't get any straw. They still have to make the bricks. They still have to reach the quota they've always had, but we're not going to give them the straw. We're not going to provide them with some of the materials they need. And so as we saw at the end of chapter five, after they spoke with Pharaoh, they were in a really uh, bad place. They were upset and for good reason. Now they've already been slaves. They've already been persecuted, mistreated. There's been genocidal acts and now they're in even a worse place. Like things have just gotten much harder. And so when Moses goes to meet them, they're like, God can judge you for what you've done to us. And then Moses goes to the Lord and he's like, look, why did you send me here? Like, I just did what you asked, but nothing good is coming of it. You're not rescuing the people. You haven't done anything. And the Lord's, in, verse, in chapter six, verse one, we see the Lord's reply. He says to them, but the Lord replied to Moses, now you will see what I will do. And we're going to see this refrain continually through chapter six. Basically, I sent you Moses and I kind of let you do what I told you to do. Go and give them the message. And Moses did it. And he said, hey, I went in, I did this. And the Lord says back to him, now you're going to see what I'm going to do. So you've, you've done your part. You've, you've done everything you can do. All you can do it. You don't have a great army. You're not a great warrior that can come in and force the Pharaoh to do what you want. So you've done everything you can do. Now you will see what I will do, Moses. 
And then he says to him something that's uh, kind of interesting and we're going to dig into a little bit, but he says, he says uh, actually two things that I want to go through here in this, in this one verse. He says, now you will see what I will do. And again, we're going to see that over and over to Pharaoh because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land. So, um, if you guys are ever interested, this is a book called Ancient Egypt and the Old Testament. It's by a guy named John Curid. He goes through and he basically compares things. Uh, he looks at ancient Egypt and ancient Israel and compares some of the things that are going on there. And he specifically talks about this. So I want to read to you from page 83. It says this. Several recent studies into the Egyptian background of the Exodus traditions have focused on the polemic nature of some of the biblical accounts. In other words, some of the biblical accounts are really fierce, angry, warlike or arguments. That's what a polemic is. It's basically like, we're going to argue our position. A lot of times it does have to do about religion and you're going to argue your side. And I'm going to argue my side, but this isn't a discussion. This is a fiery, angry argument. And you might say, okay, that's a little bit weird. But the point being here is the Lord is really going to start saying things that to us sound like they don't have any context. They don't mean anything. Okay, a strong hand. Cool. But to the people at the time, it was very much of a like, bring it on. You think you're something? Let me show you what I've got. Um, it was, uh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Sometimes you'll see exchanges and you see that fiery argument going on. Very animated, mm -hmm. you know, very forceful. It's not just this persuasive argument, but it, it's really alive. And right. I mean, that's, that's, to me, I get that. Yeah, and that's what's happening here. And, and really, when he's saying this, even in verse one, this is a shot across the bow to specifically the incarnate deity of Egypt, which is Pharaoh. Yes, they have many gods, but they believe that Pharaoh is a god. He is the son of Ra, and he is also um, in, endued or filled with or given special, almost magical deity powers from several other gods of the uh, Egyptian belief system. Okay, so... What it says is this, and it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, the principal area of many of these studies has been comparative linguistics and particularly the parallel usage of idiomatic expressions. In other words, local, local phraseology. So I might say, oh man, Chris is such a beast. And you guys would all know what I mean. I don't mean that he's a, a stupid like an animal or they, like the Jews would call the Gentiles dogs because they weren't worth. When I'm saying that, I'm saying, man, I was lifting with Chris or doing something athletic or something, and he's a beast. He's an animal. That's a compliment. But 2,000 years from now, depending on which culture you're in, that could be seen as a slander. And so for us, we need to understand what exactly is happening. And this is what it says. For instance, ancient Egyptian texts characteristically describe pharaonic power so a way of describing pharaoh and his power as a god not only a leader of a people but as a god is this is in the terms of pharaoh's strong hand so pharaoh was called the strong hand 
That, that was a, a, a name for him to represent his deity, his power, his strength. And the Lord says to him, the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to show you. You've done what you did, Moses. And Moses complained, Lord, you haven't, Lord, what's going on? You sent me here. Nothing's happening. He says, now I'm going to show you what I will do. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. You think you've got a strong hand, Pharaoh? Wait till you feel my hand. And then he says it again. He will let them go, and because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land. And then the Lord basically takes this title and he rips it away from Pharaoh in the next 10 chapters. And he uses this for the rest of his, his time speaking to his people. He will use this phrase. And so we're actually going to see, let me make sure I'm giving these to you correctly. Um, the Lord uses it in Exodus uh, nine, uh, 3, 19 through 20. So when he first introduces himself to Moses, he says, I'm going to bring you out by a strong hand. He uses it again here in 6, 1, 7, 4, Exodus 13, 3, Exodus 15. All through Exodus 15, we see him use this term. And so what we're going to see is what Yahweh does is we've talked about previously that, he, that Exodus is his reintroduction to the world. We know in early on in Genesis, uh, we see that Adam and Eve knew the Lord. They walked with the Lord. They were in a garden called Eden, which was essentially heaven and earth come together. We've talked about that in other places in the Bible. Uh, for example, Ezekiel 28, it talks about that there was a mountain in this garden. Or more specifically, the garden of Eden was on top of the holy mountain of God, where his throne dwelt where his divine assembly lived. And so man was living with God and these divine beings that sometimes we call angels, sometimes they're called seraphim or cherubim, but there's a group of divine beings, also known as the sons of God, the Ben Elohim, that they lived in God's presence and Adam and Eve were invited into this space and that's what Eden was. Eden was a, the temple of God on the mountain of God, in the garden of God, and it was paradise and it was perfect. And we saw that's where we started out. But then what happens is, obviously we know the story. They ate the fruit and they were kicked out. But the Lord is using this term, strong hand. I, I can't even remember where I was going with that now, unfortunately. Um, dang it. Oh, the reintroduction. So then what happened though was they were exiled from the garden. And when they were exiled from the garden, what happened was, they moved away from the Lord. And all we see through Genesis is further and further moves away from God. And their knowledge of him gets lessened and lessened and it's twisted and changed. And they don't even know who the true and living God is anymore. And then it's not until Genesis 12 at the call of Abraham that we kind of see this bringing back a little bit of humanity to himself. He had tried with Noah he had, even after Noah, he had said, go and spread out across the world. And then we saw what happened at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. So there was this exile from the knowledge of God. And now we're seeing that he is, he's basically reintroducing himself, not only to the world, but to the Israelites, to the Egyptians and to Pharaoh. And so really what he's saying here is he's going to start reintroducing himself to the world, but that means who is he? And so what we're going to see is he's going to start to pluck out names from other gods and say, actually, that's my name. You call so-and-so the creator. I'm actually the creator. I'm creator, not him. Oh, you're the, you're the strong hand. 
You think you're the strong hand? No, I'm the one who made the heavens and the earth and everything that dwells in them. I'm the strong hand. And then he does something really, really interesting here, still in verse one. So first we kind of see this, this polemic, this trash talk, essentially. You're not the strong hand. I'm going to show you who the strong hand is. And I'm going to bring my people out by a strong hand. And then he says this. He, speaking of Pharaoh, at the end of uh, verse one there, he will drive them from this land. Now, for somebody that speaks Hebrew and is reading the Hebrew Bible, that will immediately drive their mind back to the first place that the Lord mentions this. And we will go there as well. It is Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, and it says this. Actually, we'll start in 23, uh, sorry, 23 and 24. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken, speaking of Adam. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, this is really subtle, but this is the Lord saying, you were driven out from my presence into the world. And now I have come to rescue you. You are going to be driven out of the world back to me. So constantly through the Bible, there's this idea. We've we talked about this a couple of weeks ago of, ex of exile and exodus. But really all they are is they're both exiles. Exodus just means to be brought out or to go out, to depart. And that's what exile means too. But the reason they're different is because one is to be exiled from the presence of God and the other one is to be exiled from the world to God. And so that's what he's saying here. This is basically the beginning of this entire reversal all the way back to Genesis 3 where it said the Lord drove them out of the garden and set it up so they couldn't get back in his presence. Now he's saying this is the beginning of a new thing, a new nation that will be my people. And I'm going to use my strong hand. I'm going to steal this title from Pharaoh because I'm really the strong hand. And I'm going to make him drive you out of the kingdom of darkness. You're going to come back into my presence. Now, what's really interesting about this is we see the, the, you know, the drive and the drive. And we just talked about in Ezekiel 28, how Ezekiel 28 talks about, it's, it's really a, a chapter that's talking about this spiritual being that fell from grace. Most people think it's Satan. And in Ezekiel 28, it's talking about you were this, this guardian, this cherubim, and you were walking around in the garden of God in Eden. It uses the word Eden. You were there, it says, on the mountain of God in the holy assembly of God. So it puts all these themes together in Eden, that there was an assembly that there was Eden, that there was a garden, and that there was a mountaintop, that this was one place. But they were driven from it. Now, I want to read to you from Exodus 15. Exodus 15 is the end of the portion in Exodus where they are, where the Lord is fighting against the Egyptians in Egypt. At, by Exodus 15, the, war, the battle is over. The Egyptian army has been drowned in the Red Sea, and now 
the people of Israel begin to sing a song of praise to God. And so I want to read this to you, and I want to uh, point out two things. I want to point out the usage of that idea of a hand or a strong hand over and over. And then I want you to see at the end, it's going to talk about a mountain. And I want you to see that really we're going from this place of people were driven from the mountain of God, driven from God's presence, and now they are being driven out of the world, being brought to God's presence. So let's start, uh, we'll just start in verse one. Then Moses, so this is right after the Red Sea, they've come out on the other side, the army of Pharaoh is destroyed, Pharaoh himself is dead, they've all been drowned in the Red Sea. It says this, uh, Exodus 15, one. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They sank, to, they sank to the depths like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious. See, he's just completely stolen. He's ripped away this title. Your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath. It consumed them like stubble. The water heaped up at the blast from your nostrils. The current stood firm like a dam. So they're using this language to describe how the, the east wind had come and split the Red Sea in half. And he's saying it was from your nostrils. You, it was nothing for you. Just a little blow of a, a, a booger out and boom, split. Nothing but a, a puff from your nostrils and the Red Sea split. It stood up like a dam. The watery depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake and I will divide the spoil. My desire will be gratified at their expense. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. So now this is Pharaoh saying this stuff. I, by my, I'm going to go in. I'm going to chase them. I'm going to destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. With your faithful love, you led the people you have redeemed. You will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. So again, this idea of not just to be saved out of slavery, but to be brought to God's holy dwelling. Remember, at no time up to this point, besides at the garden, is there the idea of them being in God's dwelling place, in God's home with God. But then listen to what it says here. To your holy dwelling with your strength. When the people hear, they will shudder. Anguish will seize the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be terrified. Trembling will seize the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan will panic. Remember, this is the land that they're going to. They're going to the land of the Moabites, the Edomites, 
the Canaanites. This is the land they're going to take over. Remember, these people had 400 years, it talked about in Genesis, that the Lord was going to give them 400 years. And then once their sins, their wickedness was full, he would judge them. And he's going to use Israel to do that. So he said, not only did I do this to, to Pharaoh, I'm about ready to do it to them. And they're already shaking in their boots at the thought of me. Terror and dread will fall on them. Verse 16, they will be as still as a stone because of your powerful arm. Until your people pass by, Lord, until the people whom you purchased pass by, you will bring them, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your possession. Lord, you have prepared the place for your dwelling. Lord, your hands have established the sanctuary. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And again, these ideas are all brought together. Where is he going to plant them? He's going to plant them. Again, the idea of a garden. Think all the way back to Genesis 3 again. It says that he took the man and he placed him in the garden and there he planted, he placed every tree that was good for fruit or sight. So the Lord planted this thing in this garden called Eden. Now he's saying to Israel, I'm going to bring you out. I'm the strong arm. I'm the strong hand. I'm the one that's rescued you. And I am going to bring you to my holy, or wait, where is it? Where is it? My holy dwelling. I'm going to plant you on that mountain. I've already prepared the place for my dwelling and he's established his sanctuary. So all these ideas of temple, of home, of mountain, of garden are all put there again to be brought back there. So all these, all these uh, kind of themes and thoughts are directly taken out of Genesis and they're brought into these sections of Exodus saying, I'm reversing what I did before. Yes, I drove you out of my presence. Now I'm bringing you into my mountain, bringing you back to my presence. And these things are for us as well. Yes, we are not going to go to Mount Sinai like they did and get the law of God. But we are going to be brought to the holy mountain Zion. In Hebrews, it talks about the comparison. You haven't been brought to, to, to uh, Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion. And so there's this idea over and over that we are being brought back to God. Sorry, I'm going to take this off. I just kind of like the, um, in the, in the temple in the Holy of Holies, they had the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and underneath the wings was called the mercy seat, but the wings were the two, the two cherubim. And there's where like the, the glory of God would come down. And I've got Jeff and Mogan. <laughs> All right, so all that in verse one. So the Lord says, I'm going to show you what I will do. And then, and then he said this, then God spoke to Moses telling him, I am the Lord. And again, anytime you see in your Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which hopefully all of yours have, that is the word Yahweh. There is another word, Lord, that means master or sir. It's not that word. If it's all capitalized, it is Yahweh. Okay. The name of God. So he says to him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God almighty or El Shaddai, but I was not known to them by my name. 
Okay, we're, again, we're seeing that theme, known. The whole entire book of Exodus is about God making himself known to the world. To them, I was not, I was not known to them by my name, Yahweh. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land that lit, that, uh, sorry, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, this is interesting, and there's some debate on this, because he says, they did not know me by my name, Yahweh. And yet, and yet, all through Genesis, the name Yahweh is used. Uh, I'll just give you a few examples. Uh, 12.1, 17.1, 18.1, 26.2, 26.24, 26.25, 26.26, 26.27, 26.28, 26.29, 26.30, 26.31, 26.32, 26.33, 26.34, 26.35, 26.36, 26.37, 26.38, 26.39, 26.40, 26.41, 26.42, 26.43, 26.44, 26.45, 26.46, 26.47, 26.48, 26.49, 26.50, 26.51, 26.52, 26.53, 26.54, 26.55, 26.56, 26.57, 26.58, 26.59, 26.60, 26.61, 26.62, 26.63, 26.64, 26.65, 26.66, 26.67, 26.68, 26.69, 26.70, 26.71, 26.72, 26.73, 26.74, 26.75, 26.76, 26.77, 26.78, 26.79, 26.80, 26.81, 26.82, 26.83, 26.84, 26.85, 26.86, 26.87, 26.88, 26.89, 26.90, 26.91, 26.92, 26.93, 26.94, 26.95, 26.96, 26.97, 26.98, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 26.99, 
that was slaughtering people, that was hurting people. And they had been there for generations in the state. So it is time for uh, vengeance, essentially. The Lord's going to say, and again, it's not, he gives them a chance. Moses, we just saw Moses went in and said, let him go. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. And interestingly enough, where we talked about last week, where Moses says to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. And Pharaoh says, well, thus says Pharaoh. Uh, in, the same, in the same book, it says, another example is in Exodus 5, where both Yahweh and Pharaoh give mandates. I'm reading again from uh, ancient Egypt in the Old Testament. It says, gave mandates introduced by the idiom, thus says. So again, we just talked about the Lord said, thus says the Lord. Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord. I don't care. And then he goes out and has his people say, his servants say the same thing. Well, thus says Pharaoh. You want to use your little thus says? I'll use that my thus says. Now, interestingly enough, the Egyptians were well aware of the use of that expression to preface the commands of a deity. Their own texts, such as the Book of the Dead, frequently introduce the desire of the gods with the words thus says. So this polemic, this verbal battle, this argument is going on all the way through. And Pharaoh started it. The Lord says, thus says the Lord, let my people go. He says, oh yeah, thus says Pharaoh, don't help them out, but make them have the same quota of bricks. And then the Lord says, oh, is that what we're doing here? You think you're a strong hand? I'm going to make you drive them out by my strong hand. So all these people are about to know Yahweh. They're going to know him. Verse six says this. No, wait, is it verse six? Yeah, one second. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out. Again, uh, remember back to verse one of chapter six. He says, Moses said, I did all these things. And the Lord says, now you'll see what I will do. And so now he's telling him all the things he's going to do. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Again, kind of back to that idea of a strong hand or strong arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. You know, when I'm reading this, I'm constantly struck with the idea that we have had in Christianity for a long time, all the way back to um, really the first century. The idea that the God of the Old Testament is some sort of wrathful, hateful, demanding, mean God, but Jesus is this loving, good, kind God. And when I read something like this, I feel like I could insert Jesus' name in here and it would be reading right out of an epistle of the New Testament. 
I am Jesus Christ, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. But he doesn't bring us out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. He brings us out from slavery to sin. I will rescue you from slavery to sin. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment in my own blood. I will take you as my people. That's what he said. He said, we are brought into the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are adopted in. Not because of our good works, simply because God decided to make it that way. Now, think about the Israelites. Are the Israelites at this point these righteous people that have kept the law? No, they don't even have the law. The law won't be given till later on in Exodus through Leviticus and Numbers. We, they don't even have the law. They are not keeping the law. They are sinners. They are in a pagan nation. They're for sure practicing these pagan religions. How do we know? Because when they get out of Egypt and they're going through the desert, a constant thing that the Lord has to warn them about is do not make graven images. Do not worship other gods. And in fact, when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, what are they doing? They're worshiping golden calves. The people of Israel are pagan worshipers at this point. They do not know the Lord. He is introducing himself to them. He is not saving them because they are good or strong or righteous or mighty or deserve it. He is saving them because he is good. Period. Point blank. That's it. The same way Jesus saves us. Listen to these words. I will take you as my people. Just like he said to us, we will be his people. We, if we've called on the name of Jesus, we are brought into the people of God. We are one with them. And I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you up from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore. And we've been promised the same thing. The Lord has promised to bring us to a promised land that is a thousand times better than Canaan. He has promised to bring us to his holy mountain, not just for a time, but for eternity. Not just to receive the law, but having to stand back from the fire and the thunder and the smoke, but to bring us there to be with him and dwell with him forever. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Moses already told them this once. I, the Lord's going to rescue you. And nothing happened except things got worse. And so now when he goes back to them with this message, they're like, okay, yeah, we've heard this before. We're, right now we're just trying to survive, man. We've got, a, we've got the same workload we've always had, except we don't have the supplies we need. So we don't really have time to talk to you right now. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, said, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, if the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me since I am such a poor speaker? At the beginning of chapter seven, he's going to say the same thing. I, you know, I already told you I'm not good at talking. And yet I don't see, now I could be wrong, but I don't see another place in the rest of Moses' life that he says this. Because what begins to happen? In chapter 7, they meet with Pharaoh. Aaron throws down his staff. It turns into a snake. 
Pharaoh's magicians throw down their staffs. It turns into a snake. Pharaoh's like, see, we can do the same thing. Moses' snake eats the other snakes. And then from there, we have the plagues. The Niles turn to blood. There's frogs. There's all these terrible things happen. From then on, guess what Moses doesn't care about? <laughs> Himself. He's like, okay, <laughs> I guess you, you do have this covered. I'm not going to whine anymore about not being able to speak because that was never the thing. That never had anything to do with it in the first place. It was never about Moses's oratory ability, his ability to make some great argument so that Pharaoh would let them go. That was never going to happen. And in fact, the Lord had told him that he's not going to let you go, but I'm going to bring you out by a strong hand. So here he is, he's complaining again. And then we get this kind of weird parenthetical, real quick genealogy. So we're going to jump into that and we'll finish out. It says, these are the heads of the father. So he says, hey, I, I'm a poor speaker. And then it says, verse 13 of chapter six. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. And, it, and then it gives us this quick truncated genealogy. These are the heads of their father's families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok and Palu, Hazron and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jokin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi. According to their family records, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. And the sons of Gershon, Lebanai, and Shimei, by their clans. And the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. So, we have Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. One of them is Levi. It's going to stop. He has 12, but it only goes to the third one. Levi is the third one. Reuben, Simeon, Levi. And the reason it's going to stop there is because for our story, the, the portion of Scripture we're in, all that really matters is getting to Levi because from Levi is going to come Kohath. From Kohath is going to come Amram and Amram is Moses' dad. And that's what it's trying to get to here. Now, it's not going to go through the rest of the 12 tribes. There's other places where it does this, but here it kind of stops there. Now, why this is here, whether or not this was some editorial thing that was brought in later so that people understood who Moses was, which family line he came from, that he was, in fact, from the priestly line of Levi, we don't know. But this is where it goes. So it says, uh, verse 18, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uz Uziel. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Malhi and Mushai. These are the clans of the Levites, according to their family records. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed. Now, again, that's pretty weird to us. But... In these times and in, in places that are still like this in the world, cousins marrying cousins, people marrying each other that are close uh, familial relationships was not unheard of. Even Darwin married his cousin. So these weren't, this isn't something that was like happened way, way back in time, even just several generations ago. This was still a practice that people did. If you knew those people, you thought they're good stock. We're going to have our son marry their daughter. And usually it was a relation, a cousin, something like that. So Amram married his father's sister, his aunt, Jochebed, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Israel were Korah, Napheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uzel, 
Mishael, Elphazan, Sithri. Aaron married Elsheba. Now, we might be thinking, why are they continuing on here? We already got to Moses and Aaron. Why do we care about the rest of these? Some of these are kind of calling the shot for later on. Like, hey, we're already giving you some genealogy. We're also gonna, there's also some other important characters that are gonna come up. So here's, here's their family lines. So Aaron has a couple sons by this woman, Nashon. She bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithmar. Now, Nadab and Abihu will be killed later on in the Pentateuch, the first five books. Um, I think it's either in Numbers or Leviticus. I can't remember. I think it's Numbers. They go into, after they build the sanctuary, the tabernacle. Now, it's a tabernacle because it's a tent. It's not a building. Solomon will later build a building that's called the temple. They're the same thing. They have the same function, but one is a tent and one is stationary. It's a temple. So they go into the holy place burning strange incense. And it says the fire of the Lord consumed them. So they went in. It sounds like from some other verses that they've been drinking. Um, maybe they were a little bit drunk. We don't know, but they go in doing something they're not supposed to do and the Lord destroys them. So that's probably why they're mentioned here. Um, it goes further on. The sons of Korah are Asir, Elkanah, Abisaph. These are the clans of the Korathites. Aaron's son, Eleazar, so now it's going a little bit further down um, Aaron's family line, married one of the daughters of Petuel and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the Levite families by their clans. Now, I believe that Phineas, let me just check something real quick here. I believe Phineas is the one who stops one of the plagues in Numbers 26, 11. Let me just double check before I lie to you. Hmm. Well, I'll look that up later. But I believe Phineas is the Phineas who ends up taking a spear and killing a couple of people as they are worshiping one of the false gods by fornicating. Um, because remember, this was the Canaanites had um, a form of religion that had a lot to do with sex. So it was very easy for them to entice the Israelites into it because a group of woman, women would come to the Israelite men and be like, let's go over to our shrine and you can have sex with us. And that's how we'll worship our God. And they're like, oh, it's numbers 25. Cool. Is that how you guys do it over there? Because we, we could do that. Like you see how it's this sensual thing. It's not, it's a very, it's very wicked. It's very base. It's very um, pagan, really. They thought that they could bring uh, the God's favor by doing this kind of stuff. Anyway, it goes through that, this kind of, this quick genealogy. And it says in verse 26, it was this Aaron and Moses whom the Lord told, bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, according to their military divisions, Moses and Aaron were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, in order to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. So we have this really great kind of climactic thing. And then there's this genealogy. And sometimes the genealogies can be kind of boring, but there's also a lot of really cool things that you can learn from the genealogies. Anyway, um, the one thing that I wanted to mention was... The idea of knowing the Lord. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it said, 
you know, they knew the Lord. They knew his name. We talked about that. The name's used 162 times. But they knew it, but they hadn't experienced it. They hadn't lived it. Now, did they know parts of him? Sure. Like he appeared to them in, in miraculous ways. He did miraculous things for them. So they had experienced pieces, but they hadn't experienced the fullness of his name. They hadn't seen him as this redeemer, this rescuer, this strong-handed warrior who was going to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And in some ways, uh, we have a similar experience. I want to read from First uh, Peter, actually. I want to read from 1 Peter um, 2 9, and then I'm going to read from uh, 1 8. But 2 9, I want you guys to hear this because I think it's important when we think about all these themes in the New Testament that we kind of are like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. We so often forget that they're all tied back to the Old Testament. So let's go to 1 Peter uh, 2 9. But you are a chosen race. This is Peter speaking to the church, speaking to people like us right here, living right now, trying to walk with Jesus, though we don't even see him. And this is what he says. First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous, marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, all those uh, titles that he gives us there, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. That's all from Numbers. Or I'm sorry, that's all from Exodus, Exodus 19. Let's read it real quick. These, and that's what I'm trying to get us to understand is that these promises to Israel are brought forward. Do you think that God's entire mission was to bring a group of Bedouin sheep herders out of Egypt and bring them to a mountain in the middle of the desert? You think that was the whole mission of God? No, that is a shadow of the greater thing to come. In the same way that I can hold my hand up here and you guys can see my shadow and the shadow resembles the reality, it is not the reality. The reality is right here, it's my hand. Jesus is the reality. And yes, God did do this thing for the Israelites. But that was only shadowing or foreshadowing what was to come. And that was going to be the eternal rescue of all humanity from the darkness of slavery. Not slavery to some nation. Slavery to sin that will send your soul forever in exile from God. And to bring us out of that. And that is what Peter is connecting us to here. He's saying, you guys are the same as them. We are them. We are the Israel of God. Listen to what... Exodus 19 says, this is only a couple chapters after they finally escape from Egypt. It is Exodus 19, 6. I'll start in five. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, 
You will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. And Peter connects us directly with that. And he says to us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for my possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out. Out of Egypt? No, for us it's something completely different, but better and greater, out of darkness. Into where? Into this new kingdom called Israel and Canaan? No, to the kingdom of light. Once you were not a people, just like Israel, they were just a group. They were called Hebrews, they weren't a nation. They were just another clan living in Egypt. But now he made them their own people, their own nation when he called them out. Same for us. We are no longer Americans. You are no longer Chinese. You are no longer Mexican. You are Christian. You have been brought into a new nation, a nation that is a nation irregardless of ethnicity, of blood, of tongue, of language. You are a nation that has been called out and made a people by God's working. Not because you're good. Not because you're stronger or better. He said the same thing to Israel. You think I got you because you're stronger or better? No, you're the least of all of them. That's who he calls though. And the New Testament says the same things. He doesn't call many wise, many strong, many noble. He calls the foolish things, the weak things to confound the wise. Those who think they're something are really nothing. And that is the entire journey. Everything that happened in the Old Testament was one to show us that God will and can fulfill his promises. He will do it because he cannot lie. And he can do it because he's almighty God. We have the same promises or similar ones, yet better. And they are just as likely to happen. Why? Because that strong hand that led them out is the same strong hand that will deliver us. The same strong hand that brought them to Mount Sinai will bring us to Mount Sinai or to Mount Zion. Now, I want to talk briefly about knowing. First Peter, just flip one page back in most Bibles. It's first Peter 1.8. I think I will start though in verse three, just to give us some context. And it says this, 1 Peter chapter one, verse three through eight. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. My brothers and sisters, I will continue to mention this, but we must not set our eyes on the things of this earth and circumstances of this time, thinking that that is God's promise. His promise, our inheritance, is something that cannot rot because it is imperishable. It cannot be defiled or made dirty. It cannot fade away. In fact, it is waiting for us. Where? In this life? No. It is waiting right now in heaven. And until heaven comes down to earth and the two become one, just like they were at Eden, where heaven and earth are one, which we know will happen, and we are even supposed to pray for. Jesus said to pray, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. That prayer, every time we pray it, 
is not only a request, but it is us showing fidelity and trust to Yahweh that he will fulfill his promise because his promise is that one day the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven and heaven and earth will be one again and the earth will be remade. It is waiting for us in heaven. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation. Think about that. The power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that split the sea, the same power that did all 10 of the plagues on the Egyptians lives in you. How does it live in you? By faith. For what purpose? To guard you and keep you. Now you might say, well, I thought it was so I could do these cool things like Moses. No, it's not. It is to guard you so that you don't fall into the same types of traps because we're all prone to it as the Egyptians. Yeah, Moses, you said this is going to happen. Things are worse, dude. We don't even want to talk to you about this. We don't want to hear the words of the Lord anymore. No, the power of God is to guard us, to keep us until that day that he returns. It talks about that we should look up for our redemption draws nigh. Why do we look up? Well, because the angel that was on the Mount of Olives as Jesus ascended on the cloud and the apostles looked up until he got to a point where they couldn't see him. And suddenly they look over, there's an angel standing there like, why are you guys still looking up? Don't you know that he will return in the same way that he left? But go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of his Holy Spirit. The Lord left. He will return the same way. Talks about in one of the minor prophets that the Lord's feet will come down upon the, upon the Mount of Olives and it will be split in two. So that hasn't happened. Clearly the Mount of Olives is still there. It's a tiny little hill. It is not even probably as big as Pilot Butte, but that was a mountain in the Middle East. It's not something great, but it's something amazing because that's the mountain that Jesus' feet will come down and rest upon when he comes back forever to make his kingdom on earth. Now, listen to what he says. He says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We know, but we will know. We know Jesus. We know the name of Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name will be saved. They knew the name of Yahweh. And yet the Lord said, they don't really know me. They knew me by God Almighty, but they didn't know me by Yahweh. I will be. Who, who am I? I will be. You're going to see who I'll be. You'll see exactly who I am. We are going to know God in that same way. Right now, we are in this place. We have salvation, but we're waiting for salvation because it's going to be revealed when he comes back. So we've been saved, but am I saved all the way? No, I still struggle with sin every day. I still am in a body of death. I'm still in a body of sin and wickedness, but we will be saved from that body. We will be saved from our sinfulness. So our salvation is now, but it has yet to appear because it will appear in its truest form. Let's finish. We're almost to verse eight. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible 
and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The Bible and the apostles and Jesus and God do not pretend as though we are walking in something like I walk every day with Jesus and I see him and he's my friend and I talk to him. Peter says right here, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. We believe in one who is invisible. We love one whom we've never seen. But we know him, but we will one day know him. First Corinthians says this. 13, 8 through 12. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. Now, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit. And he's saying, these are all going to pass away. And you might say, that's weird. Why would they pass away? Well, he tells us why right here. He says, love never ends. But prophecy, that, that'll come to an end. Uh, tongues, they'll stop. As for knowledge, it'll come to an end. Why? Well, when we're living with God in the kingdom of God in the new Jerusalem in new bodies that it can fully experience knowing God and his glory, why will we need prophecy? Why would we need to speak in tongues? Why will we need gifts of miracles? We won't need any of those things. We will no longer need a miracle because we'll be living with God. We won't need healing because we will be fully healed forever, never to die again. But love, he says, never ends. And then he says this, for knowledge, it will come to an end. And then he says in verse nine, for we know in part, and when we prophesy, that is in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put aside childish things. What does that mean? Simply the same thing. When we are in our full adulthood, if you want to call it that, as he's using that, um, oh gosh, analogy. what's the word? Analogy. Um, thank you. As he's using that analogy, he's saying, right now we're kids. We use prophecy because we might need that to understand God, but we can only do it in part. We don't understand the whole thing. Even the prophets of old didn't even know they were prophesying about Christ and his death on the cross sometimes. He says, when we get there, it'll be like when you're turned into an adult and you put away toys. You don't play with them anymore. Unless you're me, and then sometimes you do with your kids because it's fun. <laughs> but his point being this, when we get to full adulthood, when we get to the place we're going, we won't need these things anymore. We won't, like, why will we need words of knowledge? We'll know everything that we need to know. And then he finishes by saying this. He says, I, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Now, you have to remember back then, they didn't have mirrors like we have where you can see everything. They basically had a polished piece of metal that isn't a super clear image. And that's his point. That's the analogy he's making. Right now, when we look at the things that are going on, when we look at our relationship with God, we don't see him face to face. And in fact, everything that we understand as human beings is only partial. It's like looking in a piece of polished metal to see your reflection. Like you see some of it, you kind of get it. You can kind of see what you look like but you're not seeing it like we see each other face to face. And he says, now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. 
We know God. We haven't seen him. We love God. We've never seen him. We know him, kind of. We kind of know him. We trust his promises, just like the patriarchs did, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We trust that he's going to do these things. Have we seen him? No. Hebrews 11 goes through an entire chapter of people who walked with God by faith and never saw the completion of the promise. They never got what was promised to them. They died waiting and trusting for the promise, and yet they died in faith. They knew the Lord, but Moses and the Israelites were going to know him. They were going to know his power. They were going to watch it. They were going to see it. They were going to feel it. They were going to walk through a sea with water split. And they were going to see this mighty army, the mightiest army of the land, be destroyed. And then they would know the God that they had believed in. We will know Jesus one day. We know him. He has saved us. One day we will know him and we will be saved. The promise will be fulfilled, just like is happening here. Keep your trust on that. Do not deceive yourselves into thinking that this, I'm not saying that God doesn't give us good things. He does. I was just thinking this morning, Lord, my life is so good. I was looking at Anna asleep. I was looking at Jerusalem in sleep between us. Uh, drooling. No. And I was just thinking, Lord, you've given me so many good things. And yet, my life is filled with struggle. Most of it, a lot of it, is because of me. I'm a sinner. I'm constantly struggling against sin. Does that mean I'm not perfect? Yes, it does. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? No, it doesn't. The beginning of that struggle is when you come to Christ. You know, there's that old saying, any dead fish can float downstream. It's a living fish that flows against or that swims against the current. When we come to the Lord, that's when the battle begins. Everything was fine. I mean, they were in slavery just like we were apart from God, but everything was fine for the Israelites till the battle started. That's when things got really bad. Now they were enslaved just like we were in darkness, but things got even worse and they recognized it once the Lord got involved. Once the battle started, things got intense. And sometimes it's that way for us. And I just want to encourage you guys. I'm not saying that life here has to be terrible or anything else like that. Sometimes it's amazing and wonderful. But when that happens, that's a bonus. That's not the promise. The promise is your inheritance is waiting in heaven. Even Jesus Christ, the holy, he's going to return and he's bringing his kingdom with him. Your, his kingdom lives now inside of you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you get a foretaste of the good things to come. It's a down payment. But the house, we're not in the house yet. Still in escrow, but it's coming. Put your faith there. Put your faith on him. Put your trust in him. And when things get tough, he told you it would be. I was, uh, this week, I've been trying to, <laughs> I've been trying to get in better shape. I've been trying to get less fat is probably the best way to put it. <laughs> better shape would imply like really like going for it. And I'm not doing that. But so on my lunch break, I've been walking. And so I'll do a loop from my work downtown all the way up to the old mill across the river and back. It's like three miles. It takes me an hour. Whoa. I know it's hard. <laughs> um, but I will listen to the Bible while I'm doing it. And so I was listening through the New Testament and I got through. I started in one of the epistles. I can't remember which one and, and went through them. But what I was struck by were a couple things. But one of them was this. Almost everything, single epistle, several times says, you're going to go through hard times. 
You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through tribulation. Don't give up. Endure. Endure. Don't, hey, don't forget, this is going to get bad. And the other thing that all of them talk about over and over is, you know God. So now, depart from wickedness. You know God. And his grace has shown us to depart from things that are wrong. You know God, so don't talk this way. You know God, so refrain from sexual immorality. You know God, so don't get angry. You know God, so... And, and we have taken that and just said, God loves you guys. So just... And it's just not true. He wants us to walk with him in holiness because we're coming to a kingdom that is all about holiness. Now, it doesn't mean when we sin that there isn't a way for us to be forgiven. There is. The blood of Christ covers us and covers us and covers us. But don't put yourself in more trials than you need to be put in by your sinfulness. Trust me, my life will get a lot worse if I went out and committed adultery, lost my marriage, lost my family. That doesn't somehow help me. It doesn't somehow make my trials any less. It brings more destruction into my life. If we are saying that we are God's people, why do we want to go back to Egypt? Now, that's what's going to happen as we get further into the story of the Israelites. They're going to be rescued from a place where they told them to take your firstborn son and drown him in the river. And as they're in the desert and the food's not very good, this is what they go. Gosh, remember how good the food was back in Egypt? <laughs> what? You were throwing your kids in a river. And that's where we get as people. We get to that place like, gosh. Remember those restaurants? Those were good. We've been eating manna for like three months. It's terrible. And that's where we get. And I just want to encourage you guys, don't give up this great and wonderful inheritance in heaven because there was a really good sushi restaurant back in Egypt. Don't get things twisted. Don't think that somehow you can be friends with the world and friends with God. It doesn't work that way. We can't serve Pharaoh and serve the Lord. That's another theme that's all the way through Exodus. Now it's Hebrew, so we don't pick up on it again, but there's this idea when it says that they're in Pharaoh's service, it's, it's talking about slavery and it says all the way through, it talks about serving Pharaoh or serving the Lord, slavery to Pharaoh or slavery to God. And we have to decide who we're going to be with. We can't have it both ways. We don't get to walk in the kingdom of darkness and in the kingdom of light. The two don't mix. But we have a promise, you guys, and God will fulfill it. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. Um, I pray that anything that I teach that is not of you, you just take it out of anybody's memory or thoughts and instead let them focus on things that are from you. Let them focus on your word and by your word, cleanse us. By your word, teach us, rebuke us, encourage us that we might be molded into the men and women of God that you desire us to be, Lord. We love you. We do not see you, but we will see you. We do not know you, but in part, but one day we will know you face to face and we will know you as you fully know us. We praise you and we thank you for that. Let our faith and our trust and our hope rest fully upon that promise and nothing else and nothing less. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah.